Hi, welcome to the third season of Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life, because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, my guest is Beto Guajardo. Beto joined Focus Brands as the president of Schlotsky's in 2019 and was promoted to president of International in 2020. Beto brings extensive global experience in corporate and brand strategy, new business development, M&A, and organizational design. Beto joined Focus Brands from Starbucks Coffee, where he served as the senior vice president of global strategy, where he built a team that was responsible for developing the company's five-year strategic plan. Beto has also held leadership positions at Levi Strauss and Avon and worked as a management consultant. Beto received an MBA from the Kellogg School at Northwestern University, which is where he and I met over 25 years ago, and he got his BS from the University of Illinois. Today, Beto lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife, Leslie, and his four girls. Welcome, Beto. How are you? Erica, it's great to see you today. You too. So I'm, I'm in New York City. You're in Atlanta, right? I am in Hotlanta. Hotlanta. All right. Well, it's great to see you. And, you know, as I mentioned in, in the intro, you know, Beto and I went to business school together. So we've known each other for a very long time and we've you know zigged and zagged and overlapped in different parts of our career. So I have really been looking forward to this conversation today. Oh, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. And I'm glad to be here. Good. So I want to just dive in. It's been a crazy year. It's been tumultuous in many ways for different people. And my first question for you is what has surprised you the most about this year? Yeah. You know, Erica, I'll tell you, when I look back on where we were, where we started in March of 2020 and how we've arrived at this point, I think the thing that surprised me the most was how quickly we changed, mm-hmm. how quickly our behaviors changed, how quickly we got adopted and got used to new routines. I'm going to give you an example. You know, we locked down, I think, on March 13th, I believe. And as a team here at Focus Brands, we immediately stood up what we called the business continuity team. It started as a small group of senior leaders, Mm -hmm. uh, CEO, legal, finance, the presidents of the brands. But then it quickly expanded to include our VP of operations across the brands, our marketing leaders, HR leaders. And we got to a point where at one time we were close to 60 people jumping on a phone call every single morning at eight o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And so this was a team that had never assembled in the year and a half that I had been with Focus Brands previously. And then suddenly in one day, we start meeting every single morning. And as you recall, I was splitting my time between Atlanta and Seattle. Right. So that meant I had to wake up every morning at 4.30 and get used to a 5 a.m. call as we were contingency planning for how the pandemic was going to affect our business. Mm -hmm. And it just became a way of life that we did this every single day. We've since, in the last three months, have begun to unwind that behavior and we meet only on a topic need be basis. But that is a great example of a team coming together, changing the way they behave and doing something that they've never done before. And that's just one example of so many others. Wow. That's a lot of people that rallied around that. You know, interestingly, so for that year plus, it sounds like that became a ritual for all of those people every single morning at the same time. You know, it's funny that you call it a ritual because I am not joking when I say when the suggestion was finally made 
hey, instead of doing this every day, maybe we should do it twice a week. That group was very much split on, well, I'm going to lose this support mechanism that I have. I'm going to lose talking to you guys all the time about, you know, the challenges that we have and how we're overcoming them, given the fact that we were living through this significant downturn in business. And when we finally made the call to now do it only on a need basis, I'm not joking when I say there were a couple of people who you could hear sniffling the tears away because they were going to miss having that group every single day. Oh my gosh. Well, two things jump out immediately as you said that. You know, one, there's even more support around what I talk about in the book, you know, the three P's of rituals. Rituals give us that sense of psychological safety and that sense of belonging and a connection to purpose. And so I'm actually not surprised that there were some sniffles and some hesitancy because that was the support mechanism, not only for the business as the business continuity team, but all of you being there for each other. So I think the question will be going forward. I mean, it doesn't need to be every day, but there it seems to me that there is something really powerful and people were getting a lot out of the feeling of connectedness and the impact that it had on your business. Oh, really well said, Erica, because, you know, suddenly there was no office to go to, right? There was no camaraderie of at the water cooler. It was, you know, phone calls and Zoom, as you know. But that call every single morning really created a sense of purpose and being and belonging. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about it, I can say with, you know, uh, complete clarity, we became a better team because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We became a stronger and closer team because of the pandemic. And what drove us to get there was something that no one ever saw coming. And that was, we've got to change the way we work together. We've got to be together every single day if we're going to move with the agility that we need to in order to help our business franchisees overcome the challenges that they have out there in the field. I mean, it is, you would never choose this pandemic, but I do think to recognize that and to identify some of these silver linings, you know, is a perfect segue into where I want to go next, which is thinking about this hybrid revolution, that it is here. We're going back to the office. And so before you dive into your thoughts on on how to do that, you know, I'd love to share with the audience, you know, tell us sort of high level about focus brands. As we were talking about earlier, there's not a ton of information about that. I mean, there are many brands within it that we've all heard of. But give us an overview of the, of the business, because you also have people that didn't work at home. They were on the front lines. And then you have your home office. So maybe break up the different groups of people and give us a sort of picture of the organization. And then from there, you're thinking about the hybrid revolution and how we begin to go, quote unquote, back to work for those of us who've been home. Great. Thanks for the question, Erica. At the highest level, Focus Brands is privately owned by Work Capital. And as a business, we are known for really having a portfolio of some of the world's most beloved brands in the QSR industry. When you think about brands like Cinnabon and Auntie Anne's, and certainly if you're from the East Coast, you're, you still love Carvel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We Carvel cakes every birthday for my kids. You got to have a fudgy cake for right. the birthday party. Got to have the crunchies, the chocolate crunchies. Absolutely. Crunchy. <laughs> brands like, uh, you know, Schlafsky's Deli, which is absolutely a beloved sandwich brand started out of Austin, Texas. 
McAllister's, Moe's Southwestern Grill, which grew up here in Atlanta. These are brands that truly are iconic in the consumer's mind, and people really have a strong passion for them. Really, if you think about our strategy, it's to take these brands that have great strengths on a regional basis and proliferate them across the entire domestic market and then proliferate them also internationally, which is what my role is, to be the president of Focus Brands International. Overall, we've got more than 6,000 stores um, across the world. Of those, about 2,000 of them are international. We operate in more than 50 countries. And to your point about structure, you know, our corporate office is located here in Atlanta, where we're basically housing leadership and shared services. But the real magic takes place out in the field, right? That's where, you know, our district managers, we call them field business consultants, who are the partners with the franchisees to help them drive their business and operations excellence. And we have a similar structure for that also internationally. Does that help? Yeah, that helps. And so March 13th, you mentioned we were shutting down, but your restaurants, I mean, what was going on in the restaurants? I mean, at that point, they were probably just ramping up. Everybody's ordering in and, you know, so give us a sense of what happened. I mean, you've been working from home, you know, talk about the different constituencies and then what are your thoughts as, I mean, are you guys back in the office yet? Or what is your thinking around bringing leadership and shared services back and, you know, the jury might still be out, which it is for many organizations because this is still so new. Right. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm very proud of from Focus Brands leadership was the early recognition that uh, there were processes and procedures that we would need to put in place to protect our people and our teams. But we also have to recognize that one's own individual safety is very much a personal matter. And so, you know, to the degree that you know, someone who may or may not be vaccinated would even want to come into an office is got to be their personal choice. Now, we went ahead and made sure that we established the right protocols in the office so that if anyone were to come in, we maintain the proper social distancing, you know, hand washing, sanitation. We even replaced the air filters in the building to be HEPA compliant so that they filter out, you know, viruses and other particles to keep the air as fresh and as healthy as possible. But even with all of that, March, April, May, June, July, August, only maybe a half a dozen of the 600 plus people who would work in the Atlanta office were here. Mm-hmm. And everyone was still working from home. Myself included, by the way, I would swing into the office on an infrequent basis to pick up some supplies or you know whatnot. But then starting in September, a small group of us on the international team started talking about some of those routines that we missed, you know, Mm -hmm. let's get out of our bedrooms and our home offices and let's just start going into the office, but we'll do the right thing. And that right thing was, you know, basically making a promise to one another that we were going to maintain ourselves within the social bubbles that we had created and that we would expand that bubble to these, you know, four to six other individuals within the office. But if anyone broke their bubble, do the right thing, right? Yep. Stay home for a couple of weeks. And, you know, first of all, I just want to want you to know it was joyful <laughs> to actually be back here. And, you know, I had been building this team, you know, as the new leader, I took over the leadership in June. And wow. so June, July, August, really socially isolated, just trying to get to know people over Zoom. September, hey, why don't we, why don't we meet each other? 
I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but here I am, the president of a new division, and I haven't even met my team physically. Yep. And so when we came into the office, it was pretty much immediate that the folks who made that decision said, I'm going to come in as frequently as possible every day. Even. But there was still another group of leaders, Erica, on the team who said, it's not for me yet, right? We don't have a vaccine. I might be dealing with someone who is health compromised at yep. home. And so I want to be more cautious. And I can't tell you how frequently, probably every team meeting, I would end the meeting by saying, it is great to see everybody who's on Zoom, and it's great to see everyone who might be here. And I want you to know that we respect all of you for the decisions that you have to make as an individual. Please, please, please do what's right for you and your family first, Mm -hmm. because that is what matters most, not physically being present in an office. And I still mean that today, Erica, and hopefully we're on the precipice of, you know, all of us being vaccinated. And then I still think it's going to be a new world. Yeah, It's still not going to be everyone back in the office all the time, every day. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised that you use the word joyful in coming back and connecting with people. I mean, you started a new job in the midst of everyone being remote. So I've been thinking a lot about the importance of connection and rituals as we onboard people, as, you know, as we give them that sense of assimilation, excuse me, and to feel that sense of psychological safety and connection and belonging. I mean, it's, you know, many of us, I mean, you and I don't, you know, we have a rapport, we, we've met in person many, many times. And right. you know, I recently heard the CEO of Google talk about how many of us are living off the relationship capital that we had built by all these in-person connections that we can sure. have this very free-flowing conversation being in two separate states right now. But when you've never met someone and you haven't built up that trust, it's, it is much harder. And so I do think as we go forward into this hybrid revolution, we're going to look to leaders like you to say, okay, I want everyone to respect, you know, what they need to do for their family, but we're going to figure out whether it's certain days, you know, certain times within a day that we do all come together. You know, we still are, are human. That's right. A couple points on that, Erica. As you mentioned, you know, at the beginning of this uh, podcast, you and I have known each other for 25 years and our relationship and the foundation of that was built, you know, when we were in business school together and we might go, you know, three, four five years without seeing each other. And then as soon as we do, it's like, we haven't missed a day. Right. Right. It's like, oh, it's Erica again. Right. And, and, and we pick up our conversations right where we left off. It's an interesting uh, study case study here in my role at Focus Brands shifting from being the president of Schlotsky's and then shifting over to be the president of international in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. At Schlotsky's, I had those nine months to build up that emotional bank account with the team. And I remember, you know, we shut down together. I was still president of Schlotsky's for the next couple of months was still president of Schlotsky's. And we as a team were meeting very frequently, of course, but now it's all via Zoom. Now you're probably going to laugh here, but, you know, part of my leadership style is to be very authentic and transparent with my people, my team. And that means having fun, right? Because I'm authentically fun. I would hope you would agree. I I do agree. (laughs) And I'm not going to share with our audience any of our crazy stories from business school. (laughs) Much appreciated. You know, we would get on a Zoom call and, you know, I would lead the charge by renaming my title. I would get rid of 
my name Beto and I would put Batman. And then before it, everyone would have, would have their own superhero name. And then, you know, what started off as having a little fun with it. The next thing we know, as we're having our planning meetings and we're going around the room and people are asking each other questions, they begin to refer to one another as a superhero name, as opposed to their actual name. Right. And it took that emotional connection that we already had and helped to sustain it. Yep. Right. Having a little fun like that. We would be on a Zoom call till, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon and it'd be like, okay, it's wine time. And everyone would run and go grab a glass of wine and we would spend another, you know, 45 minutes talking about how we're dealing with the situation that we were dealing with. When you said wine time, I wasn't sure if it was W-I-N-E or W-H. <laughs> I guess, it, or someone shared recently, that's what they do. They have wine and wine. They do both. I love it. That's perfect. And But then coming over to international, that emotional capital wasn't built yet. Right, right. right. And so we have our Zoom calls. You know, if I would have, if I would have put my superhero name on a Zoom call early on with the international team, it would have come across as disingenuous because I hadn't built up that level of emotional connectedness, you know, with the team. Now, fast forward, and we're sitting here in April of 2021, and and everyone knows me now, and I can be myself again. But it really didn't happen, genuinely happen, Erica, until we started coming back into the office. So interesting. I mean, I think listeners are going to learn a lot from this and it's going to, they're going to think about everything you're saying, but what would you, what would your advice be for people that are not back in the office yet? And they're taking on new roles. I agree with you. It's much harder. I love the fact that you had the self-awareness and the sense to say, all right, I'm not going to put Batman because people, you know, (laughs) they're going to, is he, oh, is he trying too hard? And what's, you know, you, you want to, you want it to be organic and authentic and, and I agree with you, when you're in person, those things will grow more quickly. But do you have thoughts for people who aren't yet in person and then they're starting new roles? How can they do that? Absolutely. As a leader in transition, the advice that I would give to another who might be going through the same thing is how important it is to take the time to just talk about and listen to one another not with regards to what's happening in the business, but what's happening in your life, mm-hmm. right? How are you feeling? How is your family? How have you been dealing with this difficult time of isolation given the pandemic? Let's get to a point where even if it is over a Zoom call, we can genuinely look each other in the eyes and say with compassion, I care about you and I want to know how you're doing. And I got to add, Erica, you know, for those of us who've been around for 25, 30 years, you know, we remember a pre-Zoom existence right? where, you know, imagine if it had been pandemic 1998, right? Well, it would have been on our phones and on our Blackberries trying to connect. I have to say, and I know that people get Zoom fatigue, but for me, it's been an absolute godsend. To your listeners, we're doing a podcast, but Eric and I are actually looking at each other right now over a Zoom call. And it makes a difference in the quality of the connection to be able to look someone in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I first came over to the international team, there were people who would jump on the Zoom calls and not turn their cameras on. On the Schlotsky's team, it was interesting because without ever directing everyone to say, turn your cameras on, everyone did because they felt connected already. But on this international team, you know, I would look and I could see the names of folks and they weren't on. And, you know, eventually got to a point where I shared with the team, hey, it's really important that I can see you. Because I want to, I want to know who you are, and I want to know that you're okay. 
And I think as a leader, it's important that you set those expectations that connectedness matters to you, mm-hmm. right? That it really matters. And you have to go out of your way to make sure that you are modeling and requesting that the right behaviors are in place in order for that connectedness to grow. 100%. I mean, I love that you said to them, you know, I, I want to see you, I want to know who you are, and I want to make sure you're okay. Versus, you know, I could imagine someone saying, okay, everybody, you know, let's turn our cameras on without that last piece. And then the assumption is, oh, he wants to make sure I'm actually working, you know, and not multitasking. And it's a very different feel when you, you know, and I talk a lot, especially in Bring Your Human to Work about honoring relationships. And that, you know, that's really what you're doing. You're saying, I'm yes. here and I'm honoring the relationship with you. And I want you to honor relationship, you know, with each other and, and you're modeling it. So I think that's so helpful. And I do hope that people start to go back but there's going to but we're not going back to the way we were so i think we're going to have to think think about this this really both ways oh absolutely you know it's interesting cuz it reminds me it reminds me of the way we connected at starbucks erica when i joined up in 2014 as the head of global strategy i was handed a list of people who i needed to meet right and it was a couple pages long i mean there were a lot of folks on this list right wow. and i came in kind of under a deadline because the board meeting was going to be happening. So I I joined up in late February and the board meeting was going to happen in April. And I was tasked to write the next five year strategic plan. And so I'm feeling a little under pressure to get this done, if you know what I mean. But I've been handed a list of people who I was expected to meet in the first two to three weeks of my time at Starbucks. And so I thought to myself, well, this will be a great opportunity, right? To meet these leaders, and to have them share with me what the business is, and I can start to use that and incorporate it into the strategy, right? And so unbeknownst to me, each one of these meetings always began with a coffee tasting. And the coffee tasting consisted of that individual having gone and freshly ground the beans, usually a roast that meant something to them, you know, maybe it was a Sumatra roast because they had once visited the farms in Sumatra, or maybe it was, you know, a roast from, you know, the high mountains in Mexico because they've got a family connection there, whatever it might be. And then, you know, you walk to the office, hi, I'm Beto, you know, hi, I'm Starbucks employee or partner one. And then like, okay, we're going to start with the coffee tasting. And so the French press would be there and press it down together. And They would typically read the story of where the coffee came from, from the back of the package. And then we would pour two cups and we would do a proper tasting by sniffing it and slurping it over our tongues and talking about the aroma and the taste notes. And then we would spend the next 45 minutes just getting to know one another. And early on in those conversations, I would try to steer the conversation to talk about the business. And I realized pretty quickly That's not what these immersions are about, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, The leadership team and Howard in particular had established this routine of be genuine and be present, right? And they had built that into a greeting or get to know you ritual of a coffee tasting. And by golly, you know, you're not going to break that. That is what it was. But you talk about building connections quickly. I mean, I 
In all the organizations I've ever joined, I never felt so welcome and brought into the fold as quickly with so many people as I did with Starbucks. Well, that's what I love about rituals. They're highly accessible. They don't have to cost anything. You know, if you don't work at Starbucks, you have to pay for the coffee. But there are plenty of places to get coffee in the headquarters. And they give you that that sense of connection. So for the listener, I mean, people that have been listening to my podcast for a while know that Starbucks is my morning ritual every single morning. And, and the company and the brand have had a huge impact on my life. And the ritual that the, of the coffee tasting is there's a whole chapter dedicated to Starbucks in my new book. And this ritual is actually called the first sip. So this is this greeting ritual and onboarding ritual for a new person. But at Starbucks, anybody, every, every barista goes through with their manager, a coffee tasting. And I would love for you to share, you know, even on your last day at Starbucks, you shared with me the coffee tasting ritual. The first sip is so important that they even brought it into you know, your goodbye from Starbucks. Yeah, it was really, really special and something that I'll never forget. So several things happened. You know, I, I made a decision uh, to move beyond, you know, leading global strategy for one of the greatest companies in the world to taking on an opportunity to be the president myself. And, you know, when I went to Kevin Johnson and others at the company and let them know of my decision, first of all, nothing but thanks and gratitude and support, you know, for a growth opportunity for myself professionally, personally. And as word got around, several things happened that I'll never forget. One was right outside of my office on the eighth floor was the coffee tasting room. And this room was basically used. Any lot of coffee from anywhere in the world that will ever be served in a Starbucks or a reserve store will be brought fresh, a sample fresh into this room where it is roasted and then pressed and tasted, right, for their quality control notes. Special lots that have special flavors get pulled aside, right, get taken off the barges wherever they may be around the world. And then held out to make special reserve coffees and special blends, right? Because there's something interesting about them that these coffee tasting experts identify. Right. Um, now, I can tell you, I never became a coffee tasting expert at Starbucks, but my appreciation for great coffee did increase significantly. And they brought me into the coffee tasting room upon hearing of my departure. And they said, here are 15 different lots of coffee that we think are special. We want you to make your own blend. Right. Oh and so we went through and I'm picking coffee beans from all these different plates and they're measuring it out and making sure they're maintaining it into proportion. I ended up picking one of these coffee beans that is farmed only in a special place on one of the Hawaiian islands that costs like $65 a pound. Right. And I added it to my coffee lot as well as a special a coffee bean from Mexico to, to pay homage to my own heritage. And so then they blended it up and they roasted me an entire bag. And they said, but we can't give it to you yet. We'll give it to you tomorrow. I'm like, terrific. So the next day, they came and got me and they ushered me into the boardroom. And there were all the senior leaders from Starbucks. And they had taken the time to take a green apron. And you know the symbolism of the green apron for a Starbucks barista. And they had all written on that green apron notes of gratitude and well wishes to me. As a matter of fact, I still have it hanging in my home office today. Wow. And they blended up Beto's special blend of coffee 
And I was required to lead that group in a coffee tasting of my special blend. <laughs> and of course, since I made it, I had to make it up. I'm like, I think I smell rose flower in this. <laughs> and we went through the pressing and the sipping. And again, it's just, you know, a moment that I'll never forget. Yeah, I, I love that. And a, a lot of that example, actually, I hadn't heard until right now. But I, I talk about how beginnings and endings are, you know, what I call prime rituals real estate. So for people listening, you know, when you think about somebody's first day, somebody's last day, the beginning of a meeting, the beginning of a project, the end of a project, there, there are so many opportunities through rituals and ideally connected to an organization's values you know, a way to get the values kind of off the walls and bring bringing them to life. It's amazing. You know, part of my personal leadership philosophy, Erica, is that, you know, as a team, we're going to win. Winning is actually a foregone conclusion for me, right? I walk in with the confidence that we're going to win. Whatever those measures of winning are, right? Delivering your profit targets, delivering top line sales growth, opening X number of new stores, whatever that is. But that is not the measure of success, okay? The measure of success for the team is that we all recognize that there will be an end, that someday you'll walk away for whatever reason, new opportunity, personal reasons. And only then will you be able to look back on our time together. And if you can say that I grew as a person and I grew as a professional, and I'm better off today than what I was before I began this journey with you as an individual, then we were successful together. And I share that because you reminded me of how important it is in the beginning and in the end, right? To honor, to showcase, and use that moment as an opportunity for transition that actually retains and sustains your relationships, doesn't end them. Great. I, I love that. So I want to ask you a personal question that I ask every guest in all three seasons on the podcast, which is, what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you, most like Beto? Wow. I should have listened to more of your podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Erica, honestly, it's when I think about where I feel like I am the most genuine version of me would be those moments at the dinner table. I have four daughters, ages 15 to 23. And we made it a point to always have family dinner together. And you know how busy the kids get these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, with sports and after school activities. And of course, you know, as you know, in my own career, I did you know quite a bit of travel internationally. But when we were together as a family, we prioritize family dinner. And where I'm most me is when I've got all four of my daughters and my wife, Leslie, with me, and we're sitting around sharing a great meal. And we are laughing about the events of the day or the events of the week. And as a family, you know, we're either joking on one another or we're supporting each other. And those are the best, best moments for me. Probably had a lot more fam opportunities for family dinners with this with this pandemic, with and <laughs> yes. you know lack of lack of travel. I was going to say I agree. I love those family dinners. My kids these days are begging me to go out for dinner, but yeah. I think they're I think they're sick of me. 
All right. So we're going to end with just a few rapid fire questions, but I, as always, when I'm with you, I feel like we could talk all day. So again, thank you so much for being here. So a few five rapid fire questions. What are, what are you reading these days? Anything you could recommend? Believe it or not, I'm actually reading a book called, it's a very short book, Stand Like, no, I'm sorry, Speak Like Churchill, Stand Like Lincoln. And it's a book that goes through and articulates what were the great qualities and characteristics of their ability to command an audience. And it's something that I have my entire team reading because I want us to learn the art of great communications and brevity. I love that. What about watching? Are you a series kind of guy? Well, I can't wait for season three of Oasis to come back or Ozark, excuse me, season three of Ozark to come back. And I have to be honest with you, I'm a huge baseball fan. And so I am just reveling in the fact that I get to watch a good baseball game. these days. We're a big sports family as well. All right. So in your role as president of Schlotsky's or even now, when you would go into the restaurant, what was your go-to sandwich order? In Schlotsky's, it was a deluxe original without black olives. Okay. Just so you know. And I would contend, if you haven't been to a Schlosky's lately, you got to get back into one because we brought back the original recipe for the original bread and the original builds. It's fantastic. All right. I'm putting it on my list. And finally, the last question, just one word to describe, you know, this moment in time around the, the future of work and this, this inflection point that we're at. Transformational. Okay. And with that, Beto, always great to see you. Next time it will be in person in Atlanta. I need to get down there. I can't wait or else I'm getting up to New York, Eric. I can't wait to see you soon. All right. Thank you so much for everything. You bet. Thank you for tuning in this week to Left to Our Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly newsletter, text the word HUMAN to 66866. Or you can connect with me by email at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you next time.